Welcome to The Raven Narratives. I'm Sarah Severson. And I'm Tom Yoder. We're the co-producers of The Raven Narratives. The story you're about to hear was told by Kelly Pettijan in January of 2016. Kelly bounced around the country and the world, visiting all seven continents prior to rooting down in southwest Colorado. Before discovering she was a farmer, she tried her hand at international conservation, emergency management, puma walking, and janitorial services. She's currently owner of the Wiley Carrot, a small vegetable farm in the Mancos Valley in Colorado. Here's Kelly's story. Nice. Very nicely done. When Sarah first told me that about this uh, event and that the theme was going to be wild places, I thought, great, I have a lot of really fun stories about monkeys and pumas and the jungle, and I love to tell funny stories. Um, but I got to thinking, and um, with all the craziness in the world right now, um, the violence and the hatred, I thought, you know, maybe this is an opportunity to highlight and celebrate um, a bright spot in what a lot of people would call um, a dark corner of the world. So my uh, wild place today is going to be in Jalalabad, Afghanistan. So I was in Jalalabad in 2008 and 2011. I went with a man named Dr. Dave Warner. I met Dave when I was on a DARPA project in the deserts of California um, racing autonomous road vehicles. Um, Yeah, you know, like we all do. Uh, (laughs) Dave has um, a brilliant mind. He has two PhDs and also just a, a huge heart. Um, he's kind of a mix between a uh, humanitarian and a hippie and just a mad scientist. And the work he was doing in Afghanistan, he was doing a lot of work with hospitals. He was bringing telemedicine over there so that um, some of these rural villages would have access to basic health care. Um, he was working with the schools to make sure they have internet and really just a host of other things. Wherever people needed him, he was there. And he was bringing over some um, San Francisco Burning Man techies, basically, um, who were really out-of-the-box thinkers who were helping him. And then, for some reason, me. I think I was just his token Luddite, but he let me tag along, which was great. Um, and it was truly an amazing, um, life-changing experience, uh, in part because we were um, what they call outside the wire. We weren't with a traditional um, NGO or the government or the military. So um, if someone invited us to tea in the community, we said, yes, we'd love to go. And we'd call up our friend Najib, and he would pick us up in his beat-up old Toyota Corolla. We'd bring security personnel, and then off we'd go. Um, So this uh, freedom of of movement is really rare over there, Um, but it, it was super powerful. It gave us this... Um, efficiency. We got a lot done. Um, but that wasn't our real secret weapon. Our real secret weapon was um, Mayrab Siraj. Uh, Mayrab was the house manager of the Taj Mahal, which is uh, where we lived and where we did most of our work. But really, he was like the go-to man. If you needed something done or if you needed to meet somebody, you went to Mayrab. And no matter what the question or the problem, he just said, no problem, and it would have a big smile on his face. So when Dave had a shipment of incubators that were stuck in customs at Kabul, uh, Mayreb said, no problem. And he talked to a guy who talked to a guy who got him out. Um, when the guys had this antenna that needed some special screwy thing, like, I'm not a techie, um, you know, Mayreb isn't either. And somehow he said, yeah, no problem, we'll get that done. Um, <clears throat> so he helped with the big things, but he also helped with the little things. Um, on my first trip in 2008, another woman and I were like, you know what, we need to like fit in a little more, you know, like this isn't really cutting it. Um, and so we were looking to get um, some one of the longer shirt tunics that a lot of the um, local Afghan women wear. And so we went to Mehrab, of course, 
And he kind of said, all right, you know, wait a minute. And we heard him go into a back room, and we heard some rapid-fire pass tune going back and forth, and it even escalated at one point. And then he comes back out, and he has our friend Z in tow. Um, Z at this point is probably 16 or 17. And Mayreb said, ladies, Z will take you dress shopping. Uh, meanwhile, Z looked absolutely horrified at the idea that he was going to have to take these women dress shopping. Um, but he did it. And he did it because Mayreb asked him to. <clears throat> now, Z wasn't related to Mayreb. But I learned while I was there that a lot of the men that were working at the compound were, because in typical Afghan style, Mayrab took care of his extended family. And I think in a way, he felt like all of us were part of his extended family. So we were all part of his, his, his protective embrace, if you will. Now, I didn't know a lot about his personal life. He was pretty private about it. He mostly was kind of behind the scenes making things happen. He might have talked to Dave a little bit more about it and the guys. Um, but I did know that um, his family lived about an hour away in a small village. And I also knew that in the 1980s, uh, when there's a lot of fighting in the area between the Soviets and the Mujahideen, that uh, Mayrad's family had to flee to Pakistan, where they lived in refugee camps and then also just in caves up in the hills for over a decade. And they didn't come back until the early 2000s when the Taliban were forced out of the area, or at least forced out of power in the area. Um, but in general, he was behind the scenes. So I was really surprised when he told us one day um, that he was going to join us when we were going to go take a tour of a local girls' school. I was like, hey, that's great. <clears throat> so uh, we get to the school, and we're in the courtyard, and it is just like electric energy going on, because these girls are psyched. I mean, it's a big deal for any of these kids to get an education in that area, much less girls. So these girls, I mean, the pride that you could feel was, was, was amazing. They're in their uniforms, and they're excited. And we're talking to the administrators in the courtyard, and um, so suddenly I noticed that one of these girls was kind of sneaking up next to Mayrab and putting his arm around his leg, and he just kind of looked down and smiled and patted her head and kept talking. And then a couple minutes later, another girl who's a little bit shorter and with a lot more energy comes running up and like grabs his other leg and gives him a big hug. And Mayrab gives one of its big smiles and like pats her head. But at this point, we're kind of like, hey, Mayrab, like what's, you know, what's going on? <clears throat> and he looks over at us, and I'll never forget this. He gives us this big smile and he says, with the, as much fatherly pride as you can imagine, he said, these are my girls. And he said, and this is why I do what I do. And so I've held on to that image in that courtyard. Uh, I've held on to it when I've questioned, you know, is it, should we be there? Should we be um, doing what we're doing? Is it Western arrogance to think that we can go over and make these big changes in this area that has seen so much conflict and so much violence for generations? Um, <clears throat> but I think about those girls, and I realize that, you know, it's not just about, you know, the schools, and it's not about the infrastructure and about providing internet. Uh, it's about uh, maybe instilling some hope and some possibility. Because those two girls, you know, absolutely deserve to believe that their future um, can be open, you know, that anything's possible. Because that's when the magic happens, right? When we believe anything's possible, because it is. Um, <clears throat> so I've held on to that image, and I've held on to it even tighter um, in August of 2012, when I got word that Mayrab was shot and killed in front of his house uh, <clears throat> uh, by two gunmen uh, that were on a motorcycle. And they never caught the people, of course, but it was pretty apparent that they were associated with the Taliban. And um, <clears throat> I had a lot of guilt. I mean, even though I'm you know, a small little piece of the pie in, in terms of what was going on there, I still felt a lot of guilt because obviously like, his death was directly related to the work that he was doing with us, the foreigners. So I held on to that for a long time uh, until I realized that 
out of any of us, Mayrab, this man who was born and raised in this culture, this man who was forced to flee his homeland for 10 years, this man knew the risk that he was taking. And I believe that he decided to take that risk every day to build a better country for those two little girls and to provide a sense of hope and possibility for those girls. So I would like to dedicate this to uh, Hajime Ruben Siraj. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks to Kelly for sharing that story. To hear more stories like this one, subscribe to the Raven Narratives podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. And don't forget to share this story with your friends. If you want to pitch your story for a future Raven Narratives storytelling event, go to ravennarratives.org and fill out the form on the contact page. You can also see a gallery of our storytellers and find out what the themes will be for future events. The Raven Narratives is a production of KSJD Community Radio in Cortez, Colorado. Find out more at ksjd.org. Support for the Raven Narratives comes from Red Scarf Shots Photography Studio in Durango, Colorado. Find out more at redscarfshots.com. Now for an outtake. <laughs> so he was working for Homeland Security, too. And how did you meet him? I mean, how did you originally? Somehow through my Homeland Security connection. Okay. So he'd work kind yeah. of tied to around. Homeland Security. He gets to say that. <laughs> Tom, do you have Homeland Security connections? Yes, my. <laughs> my dog. All my connections. <laughs> you know, I can't talk about it. Yeah, right.